listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I was reading today, this morning, and praying, and just doing my normal devotions, and something leapt off the page at me today. And by the way, share the broadcast if you have not done so yet. Um, I see people taken out by this, and that's why it jumped off the page at me. And as you saw probably in the title, that we're going to be dealing with um, three essential ingredients uh, to fulfill your purpose. And you do have to fulfill your purpose. You're running your race, as Paul said. What did he say to Timothy? I've run my race. I've finished my course. So everyone has their own race and everybody has their own course. That's so important to remember. Everybody's got their own race and everybody's got their own course. And uh, I, was, I was looking at the, at the word today. It jumped out at me. And um, it just kind of hit my spirit in a different way. We're going we're gonna to deal with it today. And the Lord showed me uh, three different things that if you will do them, if you will do them, then it literally is fuel to accomplish your purpose. However, um, many people are hindered by these three things because the enemy can use them to keep them from fulfilling their purpose. Once again, let me be the one to tell you, if nobody takes the time to tell you, uh, that you do have a very important purpose, that you are called to do great things for God. And on top of that, once again, your purpose, your calling, your anointing is not insignificant. It's very vital. Um, Can you imagine, first of all, this is another thing I saw today, but you know, when people try, the enemy tries to make people feel insignificant. What if, let's just say hypothetically, what if during your whole life on the earth, you only ever led one person to Jesus Christ, just one. I'm sure you'll, you'll lead and have led many more than that. But let's imagine for a second that all you ever did was lead one person to Jesus Christ. And let's say you lived for 80 years. Would those 80 years given to Jesus and leading that one person to Jesus be worth it? Would it be worth it that you won that one person to Christ and now for eternity, that person will not be in hell, but they'll be in heaven with Christ and of course with you. Of course it's worth it to see one person saved. In fact, the Bible tells us Uh, gives us that story about the shepherd, you know, what shepherd, if he had a hundred sheep and one was lost, would he not leave those 99 that were still in the fold or still in the flock and go searching for the one that was lost? And then when he brought him back, wouldn't rejoice that he found the one that was lost. In fact, my uncle Tiff's uh, ministry is named after this uh, story. His, his evangelistic ministry is lost lamb, uh, ministries because the shepherd is willing to go look for the one that was lost. And then of course the Bible tells us that all of heaven rejoices when even one of these 
So when one person is saved, when one person is brought from death unto life, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices at one person coming into the kingdom. That shows you how much God values an individual life. That's how much God values an individual life. Let me then go to talking about when Jesus met the, what the Bible calls the demoniac or uh, the man who was filled with a legion of demons. When Jesus encountered him uh, in the region of the Gadarenes, Mark chapter five, the Bible says that although the man was filled with a legion of demons, Jesus casts them out, but where did they ask to go? They said, cast us into that herd of pigs. Now you think about this. There was an entire herd of pigs that were not wild pigs because the Bible says that there were uh, men that were there that were herding the pigs, the herdsmen. That means that they belonged to somebody. They were somebody's pigs. And the demons begged, please at least let us go into those pigs. Jesus, who of course knew that these were destructive spirits. Look what they were doing to the man. You know, he was uh, cast out of his own society. He was cutting himself in the graveyard, wailing and weeping night and day, destroying him. And Jesus told them, go. And those demons went into a herd of pigs. The pigs went over uh, the cliff and were killed, drowned in the water. You think Jesus didn't know that those demons would destroy those animals. And see, I want you to see something here that Jesus valued one man's life, just one man's life far more than an entire herd of animals. You see that I'm trying to show you the significance of your life here. Jesus valued one human life far more than he did many animals. I know today it's twisted. It's brought, it's backwards today. We're holding uh, you know, uh, dinners and there's all kinds of things. There's petitions and dinners and fundraising for whales and owls and, you know, and then we're killing babies in mass. It's the exact opposite of, of what God does. He loves the human life far more than he does the animal life. And you can see it here is a perfect picture. Jesus himself is the one who sends those, uh, demons into the herd of pigs. They're destroyed, but one man is saved. I'm saying all that to start by, by telling you that you might look at yourself and the devil tells you, well, because you're not like uh, such and such a crusade evangelist or missionary or pastor, you don't have thousands of people coming into the kingdom and God's not, and you might look at that and say, well, I'm not as, as significant. Understand something. Look how God views one life. Look how he views one life. And this is not, by the way, as I'm sure you could tell, an excuse to be lazy in the kingdom say, well, if I just win one, no, I'm not, I'm not saying it for that purpose. I'm saying it because that what you are doing for the Lord, what you are doing for Christ is very vital. It is very important. It is life or death to the people uh, to whom you're ministering. Whether, that, whether you, let's say for the, for example, this year, uh, one person a month came into the kingdom through your life. You won one person a month to Jesus and you added 12 souls to the kingdom in this year. Can you imagine? I want you to think about this. Uh, if let's just say the average size church in America, that's 60 people to 65 people on a Sunday morning. If every one of those people 
won 12 people to Jesus in a year. <laughs> Do you realize that that is, what would that be? 12, that's like 900 and some, would that be 900 and some people? I can't tell. I'm not that great at math. I'd have to pull out a calculator, but it's 12 times 60. We know 10 times 60 is 600 and then another 120. So it'd be what? 720, 720 people on top of the 60. So that's almost 800 people in a church after one year, listen to me, one year of just 60 people winning one person to Jesus each month. That church in one year just went from 60 people on a Sunday to 800 or 790, uh, 780, 780 people, call it 800. A church just went from 60 to 800 in one year. Now you think about that. That's not with some crazy goal of like, we got to get out there and win hundreds. Each one of us got, no, that's each individual winning one person to Jesus a month. And that church just exploded into 800 members on a Sunday morning. Now you think of this, if you had 800 people in your church, you would be easily in the top 10% of churches in America and maybe in the top 5% of congregation size. I mean, 800 church, 800 member church is not a small church. But then imagine this. I mean, I want you to just think of exponential growth. Think about exponential. <laughs> Bethany was already there. She said, plus factor in the exponential growth of the new converts winning souls. Imagine this now. A, a lot of uh, churches will do a campaign called each one reach one, something like that. But imagine that they broke it all the way down to the minimum. And let's say each one reached two, because that's even a, a lesser goal than what you had the year before. And so now you've got six months to win one person to Jesus, right? That church just added in the second year, 1600 people to their church. They just added 1600 to the church, which means that in the second year, the church just went to 2,400 people in two years with like hardly any soul winning effort. That's like hardly any soul winning effort. The church went to 2,400. Now that's assuming that everyone who was saved stayed in the church, but let's say they had a 50% failure rate, right? 50% failure rate. So the first year, instead of, let's just say, instead of 720, that they had 360 stick around, right? That were faithful, 50% failure rate. So you now have the 60 plus the 360, you're at 420 people. Even if those only won two for the next year, you know what that is? That's another 800. Let's say you kept those, that 50% of those, you're still at like 850 people in two years with a 50% failure rate. So don't look at this and say, well, you know, one person, two people, 12 people is an insignificant number. Not if you've got a vision of people at your church doing it. And not if you've got leadership teams that are following up and that are helping these people come into their discipleship and being raised up in strength. So I want, I wanted to start with this because I don't want you to ever think that whatever you're doing for the Lord is insignificant. It's not insignificant is extremely, extremely vital to the kingdom. Your purpose, your race, what you're doing now is extremely vital to the kingdom of God, extremely vital. It would cause, I mean, 
it blows my mind how few churches uh, place any focus at all on evangelism. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an evangelist. Uh, I want to say it this way. Paul, who was an apostle, wrote to Timothy, who was a pastor. And what did he say to Timothy? He said, do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy was not an evangelist. He was a pastor. But Paul, the apostle, instructed him, do the work of an evangelist. I want you to put that phrase in the comments, every person that's watching, because it's so vital. Put it in the comments. Do the work of an evangelist. I want you to see that. Because this right here, and of course, uh, Natifa, she understands because she goes to a good church that... uh, that knows this, that operates and functions on this purpose. Put that in the comments, do the work of an evangelist. Now that's not just something Paul told Timothy. That is an instruction that all believers are supposed to carry out in their life in Christ. That's called the great commission. That's not just given to the, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's given to Christians. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Those that believe and are baptized will be saved. Those that don't believe will be damned. Do the work of an evangelist. Every Christian is called to do the work of an evangelist. Can you imagine if churches, church bodies would get a hold of that vision of evangelism where they understood the urgency that Jesus is coming that there are souls in our city that are not ready. Not just souls, random souls, people we know personally at work, you know, at school, whatever, that aren't ready for heaven. And there were church services that were, uh, you know, literally geared towards winning the lost. It's my personal opinion that every church service should finish not solely, but every church service should finish with an opportunity for people to be saved. Can I, and this is, this is kind of going a different direction before I give you this, but I, I do need to say it. I feel like one of the reasons that people, well, I'm going to give you two, two reasons that I feel like people don't invite their unsaved friends to church is number one, sometimes the, the preachers in the pulpit, um, aren't faithful enough with their people, meaning they're not responsible enough in the pulpit that people even feel comfortable bringing unsaved family members or friends to church. I don't mean you can't preach hard. I don't mean you can't preach on things that are controversial, but I feel like, uh, there are many preachers that are time wasters that are, uh, not what the Bible says we should be gentle. Uh, they're abrasive on purpose for no reason. I mean, it doesn't, it's not spiritual abrasiveness. They're just abrasive because they can't control their own personalities. Uh, there's a lot of these different reasons. And as a result, people don't feel comfortable because like, who knows what he's going to say this week? Who knows what they're going to say, do this week? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a toss up. And, and you know, you got people that are like, you know, they won't even be able to understand what's going on. Secondly, you have a church where, uh, very rarely is a salvation altar call given. And so there's not really an opportunity. So it's like, well, I don't even know if he does one. He doesn't often do one. You know, our church doesn't really give calls for salvation that often. That's a lot of churches, by the way. It's a lot of churches. 
It, it was happening so much in the Pentecostal church in Canada over the last 10 years that they actually had to start an initiative to just make sure that churches were actually practicing what the Bible says. There's tons of churches that don't give salvation altar calls. There should be one every week. Because let me tell you that, that what happens with that. So, no, we, brother, we do what the Lord is leading us to do. You think the Lord's ever leading people not to be saved? And it's not to say that you can't do other things, pray for the sick, prophesy, you know, whatever else you may do. Yes, you can do anything the Lord leads you to do, but there should always be an opportunity for people to be saved. And what that also does is this, it gives the people of the church um, a confidence that if I bring people that are unsaved, they will have an opportunity to be saved. It actually builds up uh, the, the... the confidence of the people, hey, I need to start, if I'll bring my, my friends, my family members, my loved ones, my coworkers to church, they'll have an opportunity to be saved. It actually gives them an evangelism purpose. And not to say that people shouldn't be led to Jesus on your job or at your school. They can be led to Jesus there too. But it builds that confidence to know our church gives people an opportunity every week to receive Christ needs to be done. Imagine if the, uh, imagine if the Christian church as at large would literally, you know, what blows my mind, especially with Pentecostal churches. You know, I'll say this before we move on, because this is just in my spirit today. Look how many small rinky dink Pentecostal churches there are small rinky dink side of a, you know, little shack somewhere tiny little places with tiny little congregations. And don't tell me that the reason that these Pentecostal churches are small is because they preach it right. That's one of the dumbest things that I've ever heard. The reason our church is small is because we preach it right, brother. Let me tell you something. You think Jesus preached it wrong? Do you think that Jesus had large crowds because he was seeker sensitive? Is that, is that honestly going to be your argument? Well, you know, the reason, and it has nothing to do with that. And you also can't say that the reason that your Pentecostal charismatic church is small is because of the times we're living in. Well, you know, the Bible says in the last days, hearts of many will grow cold, many will fall away from the faith. If that was true, then all Pentecostal churches should look like that today, all of them. But that's not the case. There are large and moving forward Pentecostal churches that are not sacrificing, that are not uh, uh, seeker sensitive. And so you can't, you can't make that argument. But you know what blows my mind? is like, look how many rinky dink Pentecostal churches there are in the nation. And then you look at, you go to these, all these cities, like I travel the nation. I go to all these different towns. I go to all these different cities. Then you drive by First Baptist. And it's like this huge building they got all these people and you know what? They don't even believe in the baptism of the Holy ghost. They don't even believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. They don't even believe in the continuation of the moving of the spirit. They're cessationists. They don't believe to any, any of these things. They don't believe any of these things, but you know what they're doing? They're simply doing literally simply doing the basic work of the great commission. They're having people saved and they're following up on the people and they're discipling the people. Like literally, that's all, that's all. And it blows my mind. It's like, we get all, it's so funny to me that like, we want to make things 
There are Pentecostal churches that minimize the Great Commission so that they can maximize things that are uh, done among believers. <laughs> it's like, it blows my mind. It's like, you know, in our church, every week, I've had people tell me this, you know, probably about every week we have a message in tongues and interpretation. Wonderful. But you have no one saved. And that's not to say that we don't need tongues and interpretation. We need it. That's not to say that we don't need prophecy. We need it. The New Testament tells us, don't despise prophesying. It says, don't forbid tongues or speaking in tongues. We're not supposed to uh, push the gifts of the spirit away so that we can have more people come in and be comfortable in our services. That's seeker sensitivity. That's what's destroyed the church for the last 20 years. That's why many churches have been filled with people that are not saved and aren't getting saved. They're just there for the entertainment factor. I'm not talking about that. But you should never have the gifts of the spirit in operation at the expense of no souls coming to the altar. It blows my mind because here, here's a group of people, our, our Baptists or whoever else may be, Presbyterians, that literally will just do the basic work of evangelism. They'll hold events where they then call people to Jesus. People are saved. It was funny. I went to, uh, they're so effective. I went to like a Christmas, uh, we, Carol and I went to a, a Christmas, uh, what would you call it? Like a Christmas production. Uh, at one of the large uh, Baptist churches locally here in Florida. They've done it for years and years and years and years. It's an amazing production, amazing production. And they present the gospel, fully present the gospel. And uh, they show Christ. And I mean, they go through the whole thing and it's dramatic and it's powerful. I mean, it truly is powerful. They're Baptists, but literally the place is packed with people, big, big church and people are being saved. And then they give the call for salvation at the end. If you're not ready to see Jesus, I wish, and they'll have people come to the altar. It's not some little camouflage Christianity. Just close your eyes. Okay. Just know in your heart, this is for you. And then they'll come to the altar and literally the power of God's moving in that service. I've been there multiple years. It was so, so strong. Even the kids are getting it. My daughter, Brooklyn <laughs> went to the altar feeling the call, uh, of Christ. And this was in a Baptist church. Uh, during a Christmas production, as they presented the gospel message and called people to Jesus, and my own daughter Brooklyn felt the anointing, and she lifted her hand and went to the altar uh, to receive Jesus. They gave her a Bible. But you know what blows my mind? is a church we don't even attend. We were just there for the Christmas production. But you know what, that, you know what they did? This is how diligent. Followed up on my daughter Brooklyn. We had calls or mail and gave her a Bible, you know, finding out what's the story. Do you have a church? Are you being disciple? Whatever. And she was like five, (laughs) you know what I mean? Something like that. Four or five. It blows my mind. And so I want you to, uh, I want you to hear this because it's very important is that we're not to do these things at the expense of souls and your life is important to see souls come in. And I look at this personally. Um, I look at this and say, you know, if every one of us would recognize the importance of the power of God in our own personal lives and put a heavy, heavy priority on what God's called us to do, imagine what we could accomplish. Imagine what we could do together. Imagine what the body of Christ would do. It's powerful. So I want to give you these three essential ingredients 
uh, that will literally cause you to fulfill your purpose. And these are the same three things that would keep someone from fulfilling their purpose. And I'm going to start in Matthew chapter eight. And uh, it won't take me long because I'm going to go through these and I'm going to pray for you because I see this, I see this affecting people. I, I, exactly, Lenan. Lenan's saying on Facebook that uh, in Washington State, they used to attend an Easter death and resurrection performance in outdoor theater. So anointed. And it wasn't even a church that operated in the gifts of the spirit, but it was people got saved and it was powerful. You know why that is though? Here's, here's the reason is because Paul said in Romans 1 16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel message itself contains within it the power of God to bring men to salvation. So whether or not you operate in the gifts of the spirit or any of those other things, if you will just preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul was clear, it contains within it, it's a seed that contains the ability to produce salvation. And Jesus honors his word, God honors that gospel message and calls people into the kingdom. And that's, I'm telling you, it's powerful. But let me show you these three things. I'm going to give them to you, starting with Matthew chapter 8, and uh, and then we're going to go on from there. But this is number one. Three essential ingredients uh, that you've got to have to successfully fulfill your purpose. I'm in Matthew 8. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. Put them in the comments. Matthew 8, 14 and 15. Bible says, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Look at this phrase then. And then she rose and began to serve him. You see that when he walked into the house, Peter's mother-in-law was lying in bed, sick with fever. And then he touched her hand, the fever left. And what took place? She rose up and began to serve Jesus. So the first ingredient that you've got to have active in your life in order to fulfill your purpose is number one, you've got to be free. I want you to put that in the comments. Number one, I must be free. Free from what? Free from everything the devil would send to destroy you. Obviously you gotta be free from sin. You gotta be a Christian to serve the Lord. But number two, free from sickness, like in this story. Do you realize that Jesus healed every sickness, every disease? When people came to him in faith, healed every sickness, every disease. You never saw him denying people healing. Not just sickness, but free from depression, free from a spirit of fear, worry, anxiety attacks, free from these things, free from bondage, free from addictions. It's amazing. We were talking about this the other day about how ridiculous it is to have a life that's a wreck, like a train wreck when Alex was on with me. Well, uh, having a life that's a train wreck and then telling other people, you, you need to uh, live, serve the Jesus I serve. You could have a life like mine. That's like ridiculous. People look at you and like, I don't want a life like yours. I don't want to look like you look. Do you realize you are a walking billboard for Christianity? You are a walking billboard for Christianity. not telling you that the devil won't try to attack you. He will. It's scriptural to be attacked. It's not scriptural to be defeated. 
Yes, he will attack. I'm not saying you won't deal with something that you'll have to use your faith to get out of, but you shouldn't live there for 20 years. That's a problem. When you've got the power of resurrection living on the inside of you, you have a covenant with a redeemer, a covenant with a healer, a covenant with a comforter, a covenant with the power of God, and literally, you're always bound. Why are you always bound? It's a question I want to ask some people. Why are you always bound? You got to be free. Notice, she wasn't free to serve the Lord until he healed her. So the sickness itself was keeping her from fulfilling her ability to serve. And so the moment Jesus healed her, the moment she came into her freedom, she rose up and began to serve him. There's many people, the enemy puts that stuff on them for a purpose to stop them from doing what they're called to do. He doesn't want you doing what you're called to do. He doesn't want you to operate in full joy. He wants you to be depressed. Why? Because when you're depressed, you recede. When you're depressed, you lose your strength. When you're depressed, everything slows down. Everything becomes, um, you know, focused on you. It's, it's, it's inwardly focused. It's not focused on the people that need Jesus. It's not, it's all, it's all, I need it. I need a touch. I need it. I gotta be. Why does the devil want you to always be dealing with that? So that you're never free to serve the Lord and fulfill your purpose. You got to be free. This is why we are so hardcore on seeing God touch his people, seeing God deliver his people. God wants you to be free, but the devil wants you to be bound. That's why if you read second Corinthians three and verse 17, the Bible says, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, what is there? Freedom. (laughs) Now the Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the key. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he'll set you free. He'll set you free from sickness and disease. He'll set you free from depression and anxiety. He'll set you free from addictions that would hold you back. And that's the key. If you're always having to focus inwardly on me, I need, I need, I need, then you're not focused on what do they need? What do I have that they need? Notice when we got to the place where We read about Peter and John in Acts chapter three. Remember what they said. They said, such as I have, give I to thee. Peter said that to the lame man in Acts chapter three. So he had something. Peter wasn't bound. Peter was free. Notice the reason Peter could go out and minister to others is because not only was he filled with the power of God, he wasn't bound by the power of Satan. And so that's key. I am free. I need to be free. You know, it's it's like this. If I took this cup and I held it under the faucet, you know, and turn the water on, what would be the first thing that got wet when I turned on the faucet? The first thing would not be the cup. The first thing to get wet would be the faucet that the water's flowing through. Isn't that right? The water's not going to get into this cup without flowing through the faucet, which means the faucet gets wet first. That's the key. If you think about it, the people we're called to reach are the cups, but we filled with the power of God are the faucet that brings that power to every cup that's in need. 
But if I've got that power flowing in me, then I should get the power of God hitting me first. I should be the one who's got the power of God flowing in me that catches that, that anointing, that power first. Amen. Notice what Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. So what, what was Jesus saying to his disciples? He said, you, you didn't get charged any money to receive this power. Now don't charge other people to receive this power. You got it first. So now you can go give it. You got it first. So now you can go give it. And so before you can give it, you got to get it. <laughs> Amen. Before you can give it, you got to get it. There's no sinner that can lead another person to Jesus Christ. Before you can give it, you've got to get it. And understand that's why it's so powerful that the first ingredient is I must be free. I must be free. Why? All of these attacks of the devil, they will hinder you from doing what you're called to do. They'll hinder you. They'll absolutely hinder you. And anybody that knows what I'm talking about knows it's true. Anything that would stop you from fulfilling your call nonstop. I mean, Paul even said it this way. Hey, Ashley, I'm not, he, he didn't say it's for everybody. He said, but for those that can accept this message, he said, if you can do it, it's better for a man not to marry. If you want to be fully given to the things of God, where like you don't ever have to stop for any reason. You just constantly go, 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 go. He said, it's not everybody that can receive this kind of a, a word, but for those that can, well, what's he talking about there? He's saying that if you're married and have children, then you have certain restraints on what you can do. So for example, your wife has needs that have to be cared for as a man. You can't put your ministry above your wife. As we've taught, Carolyn and I have taught this uh, for years now. If you're going through down through the priorities of life, it's always number one, my relationship with God personally. But then my number two priority right under my relationship with God personally is my marriage, my wife or my husband. And then, of course, not my husband, if you're a woman, a husband, not a man and his husband. Uh, <laughs> but right under your uh, relationship with God is your spouse. And then right under your spouse in priority is your children. They're not above your spouse. They're below your spouse, your children. And then if you're a minister, your ministry comes underneath your children and your spouse underneath. I've seen ministers put their ministries above their wife, above their children, and then lose their children. The children don't even serve the Lord. What a slap in the face. Did you realize that in the new Testament, even if you were going to be a deacon, even a deacon that you have to not only rule your own house well, but have children that fear the Lord and serve the Lord. I mean, that's why uh, and this is a sad thing. I'm not saying this to call him out. I'm just saying it because it's an example and it has taken place. But if you've ever heard of pastor John Piper, you know, John, John Piper's son, I believe is either an atheist or an agnostic. They had to, they had to do a whole thing where they brought the board together. John Piper spoke about it publicly. So I'm not telling any, you know, anything secret. He spoke about it online that his son who no longer serves the Lord is an apostate. They had to come up 
They had to come together with the board and with everybody in the church and declare, what are we going to do? Uh, is Pastor Piper still fit uh, to, to pastor the church, to be a minister? Because he has a son that does not fear the Lord, that does not serve the Lord. Well, it was pro- probably a very hard day for him that he had to instruct everybody at the church that uh, to do what the Bible says. If uh, my son will not hear uh, what I'm preaching, the gospel of Christ, if he will not hear what the elders are saying, if he'll not hear what the congregation, what we confess to be true, we have to do with him like we would do if anybody else like the Bible said, and we'd have to do, excommunicate him from the church. It's a sad thing. But the Bible tells us what to do with people who will not obey uh, the word of God and continue to live in sin. And it's a sad thing. After warning them once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. And he was saying it through tears. But I mean, uh, you imagine that. What good does it do to be a minister for your whole life? Put every, I'm not saying that John Piper did this. I'm just saying that like for those that have totally thrown their wife and children under the bus and given everything to the ministry. And at the end of your life, your wife wants nothing to do with you. And it doesn't even take that long. It takes only a few years. Your wife wants nothing to do with you. Your children don't serve God. What's the point of that? What's the point of that? It's pointless. So the point I'm making is, Paul said it's better for somebody that's giving their life to God in that way to not marry. Why? You don't have those obligations holding you back. Now, it's a blessing to have a wife. Bible says so. It's a blessing to have children. The Bible says so. But if you're going to be fully, like nonstop, we're like, you never come home. You could go out, preach, travel the world, and you never have to come home. There's nothing that you, literally, you could go out and there's nothing holding you back. You see what I mean? And so when you understand it in that way, obligations uh, can keep you from fully going all out. But even greater than that, these attacks of the devil can hold you back. These, these attacks of the devil will literally put you out of position to be able to do what God's called you to do. Totally take you out of position. What do you do if you're sick and so sick that you always have to be under doctor's care. I'm not condemning anybody that's at, in that position. I'm making an example. I'm making a point. What happens? Is it a hindrance to you being able to do what God's called you to do or not? Yes, it's a hindrance. Yes, it is a hindrance. It'll take you out of your pulpit. It'll take you out of your traveling schedule. It'll stop you from being able to minister to God's people. It is a form of a hindrance. I'm just making that point because notice what Jesus did here. She couldn't fully serve them until she was free. And I know that might be a sore spot. I'm not, trust me, I'm saying this in all gentleness. I'm saying it with respect. I'm not vilifying or condemning people that have been attacked by the devil in their body or in their mind. What I'm saying is Christ wants you to be free and freedom does open up the ability for you to do more in your purpose for God. No question about it. And so don't allow yourself to be a prayer project for 20 years. Don't allow yourself to be in a place where you're always constantly struggling with the same thing over and over and over. Get free. And I, and I, know, I'm, I know I'm saying that. There's people that are attempting. They're doing what they can. They're seeking out the elders of the church. Stand in faith. Keep staying in faith. Let me encourage you. Let me be the first to encourage you. I'm standing with you. I have people that are close friends of mine that are battling in their body. They need healing. They need miracles. I'm not condemning them or vilifying them. I'm standing with them. I'm believing for the miracles to take place. 
Because you know why? I not only love them, I want to see them fully fulfill their call. I've got extremely anointed friends that are dealing with things, battling things right now. It's not because they're not anointed either, because they're anointed. And I've watched the anointing work through their life and ministry, but they need a touch from God. I'm standing with those people. You understand? Not condemning them. I'm, I'm with them. I want to see God set them free, but understand something. It is a hindrance. If you're not free, it holds you back. This is why we need the power of the Holy Ghost today more than we ever have. Because the devil's fighting, scratching tooth and nail, knowing Jesus is about to come back and fighting to try to stop this message from getting out. So the first ingredient that you've got to have to fulfill your purpose, you've got to be free from every attack of the devil. Second thing is that number two, you've got to be filled. And I'm going to talk to you what I mean by that. Free, then filled. And I don't just mean being filled with the Holy Ghost, although I do mean that. You've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost, yes, but you've got to fill yourself constantly with the fuel for purpose. I'm going to talk about just a couple of things quickly. Go to Luke chapter four. You've got to fill yourself constantly uh, with the fuel for victory. Now, Jesus had no fuel uh, to bring deliverance to the captives until he was filled with the Holy Ghost. That's clear. We see that in the Bible. You know, I, had, I talked to a guy one time, and obviously he didn't believe the Bible is inerrant. I don't think he's even a Christian anymore. But he said, you know, I actually believe that uh, the Bible doesn't record it, but Jesus did a whole bunch of um, cool miracles and stuff like that when he was a kid, like maybe when he was traveling through Egypt and I was like, oh, really, when he was like two years old. Um, you know, I believe like, you know, when Jesus was traveling through Egypt and then throughout his childhood, you know, I believe that he did a bunch of cool miracles. And I believe, you know, I actually, this is what he told me. He's like, I actually believe that when Jesus was traveling through Egypt, that he was exposed, you know, to a lot of different, um, religions and stuff uh, in Egypt and other places. And he, he made Christianity like an amalgamation of all the religions he was exposed to. I was like, you're a nut job. But beyond that, he believed Jesus did all of these different, um, miracles as a child. I said, well, obviously that goes against what the Bible says, because when you go to John chapter two, Jesus is attending that wedding at Cana of Galilee. What does the Bible say after he turned water into wine? It says this beginning of miracles did Jesus at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Let me read it to you as the, I'm I'm giving you the King James, but let me, uh, let me read it to you as the ESV says it. And after he, uh, verse 11, it's, it's John two eleven. Listen to what the Bible actually says. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This was the first of his signs and wonders. Not, 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 well, you know, he did stuff when he was a kid, but no, this was the first of his signs and wonders. He couldn't do any of these signs, wonders, and miracles until he was filled with the Holy Ghost. We have zero evidence of Jesus doing anything supernatural until he was baptized in the Jordan River by John, and then the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. The voice spoke from heaven, and then from that moment, look at Luke 4.1. This is after 
uh, the baptism of Christ. Uh, Luke 4, 1, and Jesus, first time it ever says this in the Bible, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Did you ever think about this? Isn't it interesting to you that the first thing, I put this in my book on fasting, by the way, isn't it interesting to you that the first thing that the Spirit of God led Jesus to do in his life after Holy Spirit baptism was to fast and pray? <laughs> there were people who needed miracles. There were people that needed a touch. But God didn't lead Jesus by the Holy Spirit to start just healing people or to start preaching the gospel or to start, you know, none of that. The first thing that he was led to do by the Holy Spirit was fast and pray. So he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then what did he do next? Fasted and prayed. Hallelujah. Fasted and prayed. And so I want to show you something. Part of the fuel for your purpose is not just Holy Spirit baptism. It's fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Put it in the comments. Fasting and prayer. Holy Spirit baptism and the word of God. I want you to write that just like that fasting and prayer, Holy Spirit baptism, and the Word of God. Three powerful, I would call them, uh, I'd call them all fuel. They're all fuel for your purpose. Holy Spirit baptism, prayer and fasting, the Word of God. You can see it. So after, now here's the powerful thing. After Jesus was done fasting and praying, Look at what the Bible says in the 14th verse of Luke 4. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. I love this because if we kept on going, the, he goes literally right after this powerful thing happens to him. After he's filled with the Holy Ghost, after he fasts and prays. 40 days. Look at this. Goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, grabs up the scroll of Isaiah and reads this. The spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see that? Jesus could not have fulfilled this scripture. It was a prophecy from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he says, for what reason? Anoint me to preach the gospel to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He couldn't do any of that until he got filled with the Holy Ghost, fasted and prayed. Then he came and declared it. Now the scripture's fulfilled in your ears. Now, what's now? Why couldn't he read that when he was 20? Why couldn't he read that when he was 24? Why, why did he have to wait till he was 30 and he was baptized in water, filled with the Holy Ghost? Pray. See, it was preparation for his purpose. It's not just about being free, it's about being filled. Not just about being free, it's about number two, being filled. Notice that, fasting and prayer, Holy Spirit baptism, and the Word of God. These three things are fuel. They're fuel for your purpose. 
And notice Jesus didn't do any of them. Now, he spent his whole life filling himself with the word of God. We know that. Bible tells us that as a boy, even, he increased in wisdom and stature. He was being filled. He was asking questions that were so deep in the temple at the age of 12 to religious leaders, it was blowing their minds. And so he was learning, he was taking the word of God into himself for his whole life. But that, notice, that wasn't enough until he got filled with the Holy Ghost and then began to fast and pray. So these all three worked together. So he came back in the power of the spirit. That's, now we can see it, Holy Ghost filled, prayed and fasted, and then what? And then what? The next thing is the word of God. The word of God. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, the Bible says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those that are sanctified. So the word of God gives you your inheritance and actually gives you the ability to step up into accomplishing your purpose. It's strength. It's strength. It's fuel for strength. And so notice the reason that the disciples couldn't cast out a demon in Mark chapter nine. What did Jesus say to them? This kind of demon doesn't come out except through prayer, except through prayer. And so the key that you've got to see here is it's Holy Ghost baptism. It is prayer along with fasting and it's the word of God filling you. If you don't listen to me, if you don't have a plan for all of these things, and it's not like there's a hundred things, there's three, there's three. If you don't have a plan for these three things to be at work in your life all the time, daily, except for fasting, you can't fast every day, you would die. But Holy Ghost baptism. So what do you do with your Holy Ghost baptism? You pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Daily. Walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Daily. Operate in the gifts of the Spirit as often as possible. Number two, prayer. You should pray daily. If you've got no plan to pray daily, make one. A specific length specific amount of time, where, when, and what you're going to pray about. And then finally, the word of God. You should be reading the word daily. We just finished 90 days. We read through the whole Bible, but now that we're done, I'm going through the new Testament again and going through Romans verse by verse, set yourself a goal, you know, do nine chapters of the new Testament a day. That's the new Testament every month, nine chapters till you get out of acts, then eight chapters thereafter, nine chapters, Matthew through acts eight chapters, Romans through Revelation. You'll read the New Testament every month. Switch the translation every month and get more out of it. Understand what I'm saying to you. There's got to be a plan. If you don't have a plan, it'll never happen. If you don't have a goal, don't just say, well, you know, I'm going to read the Bible when I get a chance. You know, don't, no, set a goal. What are you reading today? What are you reading tomorrow? What are you reading this month? See, it's very important. And so these three pieces of fuel will fuel your purpose. Now, let me give you this last one. Not only do you need to be free, that's number one. Not only do you need to be filled, that's number two. 
but you need to be faithful. That's number three. Catch that. Three ingredients, essential ingredients to fulfill your purpose. Three essential ingredients to fulfill your purpose. Number one, you got to be free. Number two, you got to be filled. And number three, you've got to be faithful. Put it in the comments. You've got to be faithful, free from every attack of the devil, filled with the spirit, with the word and with prayer. And number three, faithful to the word of the Lord. I'm going to show you what I mean. Go to second Timothy chapter two. So glad you guys are on with me today. I love doing the broadcast with you. Love being on with you. I enjoy it. Enjoy teaching you. I enjoy seeing your testimonies, seeing you in person and hearing how God's changed you. And I love those of you that are listening on the podcast. Thank you for listening so faithfully on the podcast. Listen, those of you that are watching, you might not even know we have a podcast. We have a podcast that's updated five days a week. Um, You can find it on any podcast platform and literally... Uh, if you'll just search Ted Shuttlesworth Jr., you'll, you'll find the podcast on any platform. So I want to encourage you to, to subscribe if you haven't already. All these episodes, the audio goes up to the podcast daily. Number three, you got to be faithful. What is the Lord saying through the Apostle Paul here? This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to read you verses 20 through 26 in context here. 2 Timothy 2. Verses 20 through 26. Listen to this. Now, in a great house. Oh, let me, let me stop and just pull back for a second. Remember that Paul is writing to this younger minister, his son in the gospel, Timothy, who's a pastor. So the context of this is Paul, the older minister, the apostle who's filled with the Holy Ghost, is now instructing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this younger minister, Timothy, and telling him, how to be effective. And notice what he says in this passage, very important. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels, verse 24, and the Lord's servant must, be, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Faithful is number three. And I want you to see this now because it's so important. Did you notice in this passage of scripture that it's not God's job to cleanse you? (laughs) 
I want you to put that in the comments. It's not God's job to cleanse me. Now I'm not talking about salvation. He cleanses you at salvation from sin, but notice that this is being written to a Christian, a minister, a Christian minister. And so Paul's not writing to sinners. It's important to know who's writing and who they're writing to. Paul's writing to a Holy Ghost filled Christian minister, Timothy. And he says this in a great house, vessels of gold and silver, but also wooden clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, you see that if anyone cleanses himself, so it's not God's job to cleanse you as a Christian, you are required. You have a responsibility to cleanse yourself. Notice that that's a powerful thought. I'm required to cleanse myself. That means I have a responsibility, according to this passage here, to make myself a vessel for honorable use. Isn't that powerful? How do you do it? Flee flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord. Have nothing to do with foolish controversies and quarrels and don't be unkind and don't be all these things. Paul's listing. He's teaching Timothy by the inspiration of the Holy ghost, how to cleanse himself, how to know you can be ready to be a vessel of gold. What's the difference? What, what, what is Paul saying in modern day? Think about this. It'd be like, it's like, we just had a, uh, you know, Easter dinner yesterday. We have Easter dinner. There's Thanksgiving dinner. There's Christmas dinner. If you ever grew up, maybe you don't do it in your house, but like maybe you grew up in like your grandma's house. You would go there for Christmas dinner or Easter dinner or Thanksgiving dinner. And they would pull out the China, throw a hand up in the comments. If you grew up in a family that for the special dinners, they would pull out the China. Throw a hand up if that was you. Maybe there was a china cabinet that you weren't even allowed to go near it. Don't even look at the china cabinet. You're going to break the china. <laughs> Throw your hand up if you know what I'm talking about. That there's the china. You don't mess with it. These are the nice, expensive dishes. Now we use chinette. <laughs> chinette. It's so much easier to go right into the trash. There's no dishwashing and putting back into a china cabinet. But understand it. The china, they had the special silverware. Special silverware. One time, <laughs> we were eating at this lady's house in Virginia, and she was like old-time Virginia. Like she was, she was uh, that, that uh, quintessential southern woman. Her husband was that southern man. And uh, she was elderly at the time, friends of my grandparents, And I had learned a new trick, how to like make it look like you were bending a fork without actually bending it. And then when you hold it up, it's not bent. But I didn't realize she had set it all out. We were eating this nice dinner and uh, she had put out her families. Now think about this. This is passed down from generation to generation to generation. Her family's silver from back when they were still using silverware. It was solid silver, silverware. And uh, I said, uh, I said, Oh, Hey, sister Joyce, look, look at, watch this. And I took one of her uh, forks that was the pure silver fork. And I did the trick, you know, where I was bending it. <laughs> and she freaked. She grabbed her heart <laughs> at the table. 
I didn't realize that it was like the families passed down silver from generation to generation. But I want you to see this. It's so important that we pull those things out for special occasions, right? Special occasions. Look at this now. He said, if you are a vessel that's honorable, that you'll be useful to the master of the house for every special occasion, every good work. You'll not be a Dixie cup. You're not going to be a, a paper plate, but you will be a vessel of gold. Think of yourself as God's China. Uh, you are reserved for the best purposes, for the best purposes. And notice here, he says, you're not required. God's not required to cleanse you. You're required to cleanse yourself. As you look at these, these are, you understand there's three areas where the devil works to destroy people's purpose, either by keeping them in a place where they're not free, in a place where they're bound, or in a place where they're not filled with the fuel. You know, the, do you realize the devil will send people into your life to literally waste your time? <laughs> the devil will work his hardest <laughs> to waste your time. If you know what I'm talking about, lift a hand. I mean, like there's people, I feel like literally that the enemy sends them on purpose <laughs> to waste your time. They show up at the right time, right when you're doing something that's important and they're there just to talk about nothing. I mean, literally to talk about nothing. And you got to learn how to, to, to guard yourself from time wasters. Because the, let me tell you, you know what? There's only so many hours in a day and those hours are important. That's where we get that phrase. You know, if you show me a man's habits, I'll tell you his future. If you show me a man's habits, I'll tell you his future. Why? Because they'll determine what happens in your, in your future. And notice this, if the devil can successfully send people to you that will uh, take up all your time with nonsense. When is your, here's the question. When's going to be your time, uh, to study the word. When's going to be your time to pray. When's going to be your time to, uh, properly care for your family. When's going to be your time to really accomplish the things God's called you to do in work. See, and if the time's wasted and we live in a day where everything's vying for our time. So then when are we going to be able to do what God asked us to do? See, there's the key. Guard yourself so that you can have the time to fill yourself with the fuel. And then finally, you've got to be faithful. You've got to cleanse yourself. I've seen these things destroy so many lives, not just preachers. I'm talking Christians, Christians. And they wonder, I don't understand why I'm not, I don't understand why I'm not in position. Why isn't God using me? Why, why isn't doors opening for me? Why aren't these things happening? You've got to be single-minded about your purpose, which is vitally important vitally important. And I want to pray for you here at the end of this broadcast, because one thing we've made up in our minds as the victory tribe is that we are not going to miss what God's called us to do. You will not be ineffective. You will be effective in Jesus name. You will make a great impact in this world and in your generation before Jesus comes. I'm telling you, I believe that about you. I believe that about your life and your family that you're not insignificant. I've I tell you that all the time to build you up because you've got an anointing from the Holy Spirit upon your life. God's going to use you mightily before Jesus comes, but it's going to take this fuel that I'm talking about today to fulfill that purpose, to run your race 
and to finish your course. That's the key. To run your race and to finish your course. Father, I'm praying for everyone watching or listening to me today. Every person in the Victory Tribe. Father, I pray in in Jesus' name. Number one, if any person that's watching or listening is battling in their life, they're not free right now. Sickness has attacked their body. Depressions attack their mind. Addictions hold them in bondage. I pray for them right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, set them free. Send that healing virtue to their bodies. Send that peace of God that passes all understanding to their minds. Lord, smash open every invisible prison of addiction and let the oppressed go free. I take authority over sickness, disease, depression, anxiety, and addictions. I rebuke it today in the name of Jesus. Loose your grip on God's people and let them go in the name that's above every name. Number two, Lord, I pray that whatever it was that the enemy planned to send to waste our time for us to miss out on what you have planned for us to do, blow your breath from heaven today and blow every time waster out of our lives and out of our homes in Jesus' name. I pray that you'd give us a hunger and a desire to fill ourselves with the fuel. Let us have a hunger to pray in the spirit and in our known language. Let us have a hunger to read your word and to study it. Let us have a hunger to manifest the power of God. And then finally, Lord, I pray for every person that's watching me, strengthen them, refire them, rekindle them to cleanse themselves, to put themselves in position through righteous action, holy action, to be a vessel of gold for your purpose in Jesus name, a vessel of gold for your purpose. We will be ready for the master's use in every situation. We thank you, Lord, for using us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for setting us apart in Jesus name. We declare that in this April, we will make a fool of the devil in Jesus name. This month, don't let this month come to pass and finish without us being in position for promotion. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for calling us out of darkness. We thank you for choosing us. Thank you for anointing us. And today we declare that we'll be faithful to do what you've called us to do. We'll not fail. We'll run our race and finish our course in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, somebody shout yes and throw some fire, some hands in the emoji, uh, a section in the emoji, uh, the emoji hands, whatever you have fire. What's, isn't there one where there's like someone's mouth open like this and you see like the shout coming out of it? Isn't there a shouting emoji? Somebody put a shouting emoji in the comments. I don't think we've had the shouting emoji. There you go, Lenan. <laughs> Praise God. Janine, thank you for sowing. Janine's leading us off today. I'm encouraging every one of you to sow a seed today. We're jumping into this new week. I'm so happy about what Christ has done. Yesterday's a celebration, something we should remember every day. There it is, Carrie. That's the shout emoji. There it is, Hope. You found it. The shouting emoji. Listen to me. This Friday coming on the broadcast, 10.30 a.m. broadcast before I leave for Emily City, we're going to be having a a communion service, a special prayer and communion service on this upcoming Friday. And um, 
I want every one of you to be a part of it. You don't want to miss it. Thank you, Jackie Blake, for sowing a seed. Um, I'm not kidding. I'm telling you, we're setting ourselves aside in 2021. We're going to run. We're doing everything we know to do. We're going to um, fast. We're going to pray. Now that we're starting the second quarter of 2021, I want to invite you that are watching. Because I told you we were going to press hard this year. I told you that we're going to run through 2021. That doesn't come by accident. Remember I preached that message that we're going to uh, do what the prophet did and we're going to gird up our loins or, you know, pull aside our cloak. I asked you the question, um, what are you going to do to gird up your loins? What are you going to do to prepare yourself to run? And I'm not just going to do it at the beginning of this year. I'm going to do it throughout the year. You know why? I'm believing God for nonstop momentum that builds and builds and builds throughout the year. And so this coming Friday, we're having a special prayer and communion service. If you'd like to submit your prayer requests, it's at miracleword.com forward slash prayer. Miracleword.com forward slash prayer. You can submit your prayer requests. We're going to be praying over them and we're going to be taking communion uh, on Friday. Now, if you'd like to join Carolyn and I as we start this second quarter of 2021, we're beginning it in fasting and prayer. So if you'd like to join us for this next month, you can spend days throughout the month fasting and praying. I want to encourage you to do three, four, five, six, seven, whatever you feel to do days fasting throughout this month. You want to take a day a week to fully fast. You want to take a couple days a week to fully fast. We're taking April as we begin the second quarter of the year to fast and pray and seek the face of God. I'm, I'm calling a corporate fast. I'm not bragging about fasting. You understand we dealt with that in the book that when you have everybody fasting together, obviously we're going to be knowing that each other, that each other are fasting. And so I want to encourage you, whatever that looks like for you, if you want to do six to six, if you want to uh, do a three-day total fast, whatever it is, 21-day fast, Sharon, whatever it is, join us because Carolyn and I are going to be joining you in fasting and prayer uh, throughout the month of April. So jump on with us and let's believe God that this second quarter is going to blow the first quarter out of the water in the mighty name of Jesus. And part of that is going to be the seeds we sow. We've sown the largest seeds ever uh, in the last a few months. We've just sown and sown and sown. Uh, we're starting today, Jake. So uh, as much as you'd like to do through April, we're starting today. What is it? April the 5th. Uh, I was obviously waiting till we finished resurrection. And then of course now uh, we're jumping in fully. But if you'd like to grab it, this is the book that we just released for the beginning of the year on uh, fasting, complete guide to biblical fasting. It's available on ebook on Kindle or Apple Books, and you can get the paperback uh, at our website, shop.miracleword.com. As we're fasting through April, uh, I would encourage you to get this if you've not yet gotten it. It will open your eyes to so many things you've never seen before about fasting and prayer. It truly is a complete guide. Um, but I want to encourage those of you that are watching today, listening, to sow a seed. Because as we start this second quarter, I'm going in preparing myself for harvests. I'm being honest with you. I'm preparing myself personally. I'm preparing um, myself in the ministry for harvests in the second quarter. It's going to be powerful. 
Um, and I'm just telling you, in just the last few weeks, we've given a lot of money. We've given a lot of money. A lot of seeds already going in the ground. And we're going to see harvests quickly come back in this second quarter. Before the summer hits, we're believing for big harvests, big harvests. And uh, many of you believe for debt cancellation, believe before the summer hits, big harvests. Uh, and so I'm just telling you, prepare yourself for what's, what's coming. I got a message from one of my friends, uh, this couple, was it yesterday, the day before? And, uh, the Lord dealt with him about, uh, getting out of debt. He sold some things. And as a result of selling some things, he cleared out about $80,000 of debt in one week or less. And so he feels the Lord's putting him in position to run and, and he's taking steps. God will do the same for you. God will cancel debt by the power of his spirit. So I want to encourage you to sow a seed today. Uh, you can go to miracleword.com to do it. Or if you'd like to do it digitally, cash apps available, Venmo, uh, PayPal, Zelle transfer, hashtag donate on Twitter or Facebook, uh, whatever you've got, take a moment, ask the Lord, what is it he wants you to do? Do you know what I want to ask you to do? I want to ask you to partner with this ministry at $85 a month or more. Some of you, the Lord is speaking to you to sow a large seed in April, $10,000, $25,000. I want to ask you to hear the Holy Spirit and do what he's telling you to do. Nancy says, what do you sow if you're believing God for a spouse? I don't know of any seed that you can sow for a spouse, but you can pray and ask God that he would uh, give you a husband and, uh, and believe God for that. I believe he'll honor your faith. And, um, but you also got to get out there, Nancy, and you see, you know, it's, it's not about sowing a financial seed to get a husband. You know, you actually have to be, have interaction with men, you know, talk to somebody, you know, it does help. I'm just being totally honest with you, and I'm sure you're already doing that, but there's no, I don't know of any, in, in the scripture, I don't know of any financial seed that you can sow for a husband or a wife, or I'd have been sowing it at like 16. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Lord Jesus, send a wife. Um, but you just got to pray. The Lord will honor your faith. He'll do it. And so I want to say thank you to everybody that's sowing. Listen, uh, we've got something exciting coming for those that are partnering at another level. Uh, of course, you know, this has been one of my, I was in this today. This has been one of my favorite things. Uh, I'm so glad we found this. This is the Life Application Study Bible. And um, I can't even begin to tell you how much is in here. But from the time I was a teenager, I've really, really loved the Dakes Annotated Reference Bible. I've been a, a fan of the Dakes Bible uh, since I was a teenager. I've loved the notes, the study notes that Finnis Dake, or Finus as his family calls him, Finus Jennings Dake, uh, placed in that Dake's Bible. And then of course we found this, the Life Application Study Bible. But then also, I recently, what was it, like last year, about this time, I studied and found the uh, New English translation with 60,000 translator's notes. These three resources together, I, I believe, make the greatest all-around Bible study uh, pack that you could have. And we're putting something together. It's like the elite Bible study package for Miracle Word. 
uh, where we're going to include all three of those in one custom box that we're putting together uh, for you. Carol and I were just looking at this um, yesterday, and we're going to put that together for anybody that's sewing at $5,000 or greater. We're going to put together this elite Bible study pack uh, for those of you that are standing with us largely. We say thank you, and we love you for doing that. And so uh, we're going to be doing that this year. And uh, it'll be available now for anybody that's doing that. Uh, We're going to send you those three study tools, the three that I use on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, your your understanding of the scripture goes deep when you use these. It's amazing. Really is amazing. And so we say thanks. Um, People have been asking, you know, they wanted us to have a transfer available for Zelle. It is available, though you don't see it on the screen. And if you'd like to do a Zelle transfer, you can use that same email address that you see for PayPal, info at miracleword.com. Uh, com. Thank you, Jackie. Sewing $300. I appreciate it. Appreciate that very much. Um, trying to remember what I was going to tell you right at the end of the broadcast today. Yes, that was it. You like read my mind. What we're sending for the month of April to those that are partnering at $85 or more, it is this uh, awesome book, Wigglesworth, ever-increasing faith. To my knowledge, it's the only thing he ever released or put out uh, for himself. Other people wrote things about him, but this was, I believe, the only thing he personally uh, wrote, or they took things that he actually did and put it out. So if you'd like to receive this this month of April, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, fill out the form, we'll send this to you. This is for anybody that's partnering with us at $85 or more to stand with us on a monthly basis. Uh, Thank you very much for doing that. We love and appreciate you. And uh, I believe Carolyn's going to be on the broadcast at some time this week with me. And so have a wonderful day. We love you guys so much. Thanks for spending time with me again. Take a minute and share the broadcast if you didn't. And I'll see you in the morning, 1030. Have a great day. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.